Headline hunting on the Just Baseball Show, Thursday, August 25th. Uh, typically, the Thursday episode is me, Jack, and you, Peter. But you, Peter, are not you, Peter. You, Peter, are you, Aram. Um, so I got to suck it up and do another one with you. I'm kind of upset about it. How do you feel? Yeah, you got to deal with me. Um, I think it's it's a blessing given that Cal Quantrill's pitching right now. So yeah, like, I'm good. Aren't you glad you don't have to hear about that shit? Um, yes. Yeah, it, of course, catches the Padres while they're sucking. Um, and right. of course, he's, he's twirling a, good, a nice outing as we record this. So yeah. there's the silver lining. You don't have to hear the, the Cal Quantrill spiel from Peter for another day. I'm pretty in. Um, and you'll get your fix of Peter and I on the same Zoom conversation because we've got a very interesting guest uh, for you tomorrow on the show that we will turn around for you. We're recording on Thursday morning uh, to give to you on Friday morning. So that'll be yeah, that. I heard he's pretty. he was a pretty good baseball player. He was fine, yeah. And mm-hmm. he also, um, he's not talking about a hand cream, uh, but he was big on the hand cream thing and on yeah. MILB or on MLB TV for a while. Um, so yeah, I mean, really good baseball player that was in on the hand cream for a couple of years. So, uh, if you do know who it is, shut your mouth <laughs> and, yeah. uh, we'll talk to you on Friday with that. Yeah. But, um, I, I want to bounce around the league a little bit and, and there's been some good written content that's gone up on just baseball.com. One of which for our YouTube folk is about this guy. And for <laughs> our non YouTube folk, it's Andrew painter. Um, yeah. I, I want to talk about maybe, you know, the, the quickest, rising prospect in all of this yeah it's funny because you know we we talked about him in the on the mailbag yesterday um but it was more of just from the lens of like you know peter was just like tell me about him yeah now i want to follow up because we just i just put out a specific piece on andrew painter's entire arsenal and also what has just worked for him this year yeah and why i think he is now looking like maybe it one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, but, but now I'm looking at him and I'm like, what does Yuri Perez do that Andrew Painter can't? And now I'm starting to look and again, we're updating our top 100 list. I like to be transparent with some of the big decisions that have to be made. And I think there's a legitimate case for Andrew Painter to be ranked ahead of Yuri Perez. Yes. Yeah. And for those who are wondering, Yuri Perez is the other wonderkin uh, with the Marlins, who's also six foot eight and Painter six seven. Uh, also, you know, pitched the whole season in double A. That would be the case for Yuri. He's pitched the whole season in double A. But we're going to have by the end of this year, you know, six, maybe five starts um, in, in double for Painter. And the numbers are probably going to be pretty damn good. What's crazy. Check out the article because I took the time to, to cut up some video of each of his pitches. So yeah. you can see the fastball, you can see the slider, you can see the curveball and the change up. I think he has a chance to have four above average to plus pitches, which is reminiscent of only Grayson Rodriguez. Um, so I, I think there's a legitimate chance where Andrew Painter may only be behind Grayson Rodriguez in our top 100 update. Yeah, so last year, like, Andrew Painter gets drafted, what, a high school guy at a Pompano Beach or Cavalry Christian, right? Yeah, um, ri- the, the rivals, which is really funny, too, uh, because it's it's pumped out some good talent. Um, yeah. Small school, five minutes from where I went to high school. Also, Luke Jackson came out of there. Jake Eater as well. I believe they were teammates. Uh, two at, TJ at guys right now. Yeah, yeah, Calvary, low-key, Tommy John factory. Yeah, damn, upsetting. Uh, and hopefully we're not looking at that for Andy Painter. But, I mean, the, the gist on Painter, he gets drafted 13th overall last year, mm-hmm. makes four starts at the Arizona Complex or in the uh, Florida Complex League. And, you know, like those starts don't last long. Like four starts span six innings, but six innings, a four-hit shutout ball, punched out 12, didn't walk anybody. <laughs> so obviously, like, you know that he's really talented, but that was just your taste of a pro ball. This was going to be the first year. You start him in low A, 
expecting him to be a very talented pitcher, but not be the best pitcher in minor league baseball off the top. Yeah, he was nine starts in low a he puts together a one, four ERA six earned runs in 38 and two thirds, 69 strikeouts. It's 16 K's per nine. <laughs> you bump him to high a it's like, okay, we saw all we needed to see in nine starts in low a high a it's got a sub one ERA 36 and two thirds innings, four earned runs, 49 strikeouts, seven walks, a 0.87 whip. Okay. Holy shit. Are we going to do this with a 19 year old and a young 19? Like he just turned 19 on, on April 10th. Yeah. They bump him to double a Redding along with Mick Abel. And in his first start in double a six innings, a three hit shutout ball strikes out eight. Doesn't walk anybody. What this guy does. And like, what what we were talking about with Yuri Perez was repeatability from a tall guy. Yeah, like he, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why can a tall guy, tall teenager, strikes? Yeah, a tall teenager who hasn't learned his body yet and whose body is still growing. How can they throw this many strikes? But that's kind of what we're looking at with Andrew Painter. And I, I think everybody knew that it was possible that he would become really good. But this early is well, absurd. And it's funny because I lead off in the article. We talk about the Phillies system kind of being bad over the last couple years. Yeah. And it's not great by any means, but it's it's good now because of the top end talent. Sometimes you don't have to overthink it. 2020, Mick Abel is the best prep pitching prospect in yeah. the draft. They take him. He's been great. Uh, the next year, Andrew Painter's the best prep pitching prospect in the draft. They take him and he's been great. Um, you know, b- before we wrap up on Painter, just a few crazy numbers. Uh, when you look at what he's done, I mean, you, you go through the ERA and the strikeouts and those things, which is just absolutely absurd. But the fact that he is able to pound the strike zone with elite stuff is just absurd. Opponents are hitting 190 against his fastball, which is insane because he's throwing it 60% of the time. Opponents against his breaking ball are hitting 131, 191, 159. So in 107 at-bats, they are slashing 111 with 58 Ks and 107 at-bats. That is what they're doing on his breaking ball. And then he's mixed in a changeup that he's starting to use more and more now as well. Uh, This is one of the next, I think, big, big, big time pitching prospects that we're going to be hearing about for a while. Uh, I think you know, might have more helium and hype than even maybe a Shane Boz when he yeah. finally got up and made his debut. We're just on the cusp of seeing this, this painter explosion. I think we're going to start to see more people talking about him. So now I ask you who makes their major league debut first in the NL East painter or Yuri Perez, man, you know, I, it's tough because I think there's a lot of circumstances that, that get into it. And, and Yuri's shut down more for an innings limit from what I've heard yeah. um, than an actual injury yeah. um, pitched the whole season in double a this year. So has a little bit more experience. He's going to start the year in triple <sighs> man. I, I think they might tie. <laughs> like I think they might get up there at the same time. Here's the problem. There might not be a spot for Yuri right away. So they might just, talk themselves into it the Marlins by saying hey go go pitch and triple for a little bit wait till the super two deadline but Painter could just be so dominant that you know they feel confident to to bump him up right at the start next year and they want to win again next year like you you've got a healthy Harper you've got Schwarber under contract you've got Castellanos under contract you've got Stott in place as the everyday shortstop I mean like they could realistically win with Andrew Painter in the starting rotation next year as a 20 year old. And I don't know what, what else you'd really need to see. Like assuming that he continues this success, right. It's it's, he has big league caliber stuff and he's throwing strikes. <laughs> so like, what else do we need uh, to feel encouraged that this guy can be rushed? I think Andrew Painter is the kind of candidate that can be rushed. Yuri Perez was rushed by being assigned to double a, we talked about it before the season and he dealt with out. it well, and he dealt with it really well. And I think Painter might deal with it even better. Uh, so that is what I'm really excited about. And I think, you know, you add him to that rotation. Yeah. It, that's stupid. That's absolutely stupid. And you, maybe you're slower with Mick Abel. You're more aggressive with Painter and that's how you balance it out. I think the Phillies will and should consider that. Uh, but you talk about Harper, you texted me or you texted in the group <laughs> yesterday and it's so funny, dude, because I was legitimately, I had a quote tweet like typed out. 
Um, and then I was like, ah, this is just kind of, kind of silly, but I was basically, I said, when I saw Harper's home run and how easy it was the first one hit two, right? Yeah. Rehab game. Two. Yeah. The first one I was like, this is so easy. I think Harper would hit 80 home runs in a, in a double a season or in a minor league season. And then I was, I was going to tweet it and I was like, ah, but you could say that about maybe a few guys. I don't know if you could, I don't, I don't really know, but Bryce Harper just looked like he was playing with toddlers out there. And I know he's a big leaguer, a future hall of famer playing with minor leaguers on rehab assignments, but you kind of put it best. So it was triple a ball. He's on a triple a rehab assignment with Lehigh Valley and they're hosting Gwinnett right now. So this is the Braves triple a taking on the Phillies triple a. And I watched the video and I texted you and I was like, you know, normally rehabbing guys just kind of blend in with other AAA players. He sticks out like a sore thumb. He just looks like a major leaguer that's on a rehab assignment yeah. with the AAA team. And that's never how that shit works because a lot of those AAA guys are built like major leaguers. They're all like 30. They're all 32. I'm Harper actually looked like he was a man among boys, which was just crazy. I think Bryce Harper is honestly one of... The I know he's one of the most polarizing people for some reason hate Bryce Harper, but I, I that was another Bryce tweet. Harper. I had two I had two tweets typed up. Another one that I that I deleted as well is, uh, and this was more just because I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I was like I can't believe that there is a faction of people that don't enjoy watching this guy play baseball. He like that, that's what I had typed out because it blows my mind. Like I get it. He came up. He was a little bit of a smug asshole, whatever. He is so freaking good. And he's been mute for the last half decade. Like he is one of the most aesthetically pleasing hitters to watch. Yes. I could watch him swing a bat all day. So uh, I, I guess this is hot takey. Like I genuinely feel it. So I, I view hot takes as something that you don't genuinely feel. You're trying to convince yourself of by saying it. Um, so I don't necessarily view this as a hot take. You could this is this unpopular opinion. I think unpopular would be- opinion. Yeah. Unpopular opinion from yours truly. I enjoy watching Bryce Harper more than a lot of the best players in Major League Baseball. I enjoy watching Harper way more than I enjoy watching Mike Trout. I enjoy watching Harper way more than I enjoy watching Acuna. I enjoy watching Harper more than I enjoy watching Mookie Betts. Because Ooh, I- that, okay, you lost me there. Okay. But like Mookie, you know, obviously he's so smooth everywhere. But Harper, the way that this dude can just go ballistic and take over the world for a 10-game stretch with that swing, with how violent yet graceful it is, there's something that's so hot to me about it. Like, I get (laughs) turned on by watching Bryce Harper play baseball. Well, and and it's the evolution. I'm and I'm going to do this in the off season, but like the evolution of Bryce Harper's swing is pretty fascinating. I mean, this was a guy that came up big leg kick, tons of moves, like swinging out of his freaking shoes, and then you know it slowly quieted it down. And then you see the home run in, in triple. He doesn't even lift his foot up. It's yeah. a weight transfer, an insane amount of separation that he generates because of the hip mobility that he has. So like his front hip and his hands are creating this insane amount of tension and he can just swing without even really moving his feet and and launch a home run out of there with ease. I mean, it is it is so cool to watch this guy hit. And now adding him back to the Phillies, we've talked about it, but like this Phillies team has stayed afloat. Yeah, I know they got beat up by the Mets over the last two series. Who cares? Everyone gets beat up by the Mets. They've won all the other games they're supposed to win. And now you're adding, you know, last year's MVP, a guy that looks like he's going to be fine. Like it's not going to be, there's not going to be an acclimation process for Bryce Harper. I think he's going to get right back in there and start swinging it. And by the way, Nick Cassianos is hitting well. Bryson Stott has been fantastic. Uh, JT Real Muto raking. Like the whole offense is doing well. Ranger Suarez pitching well. Like there's, there's some things coming together here. I know the bullpen's banged up, but there's some things to like here in Philly. So I've got a former college roommate, Matt DeFusco, who uh, will will chirp us on social media every time there's something Phillies that goes out because he's still holding it against me that like I said mean things about Dave Dombrowski when they fired Girardi. And I stand by those mean things I said about Dave Dombrowski. I think that he just like obliterates farm systems and leaves. Um, He just tries going all in. Like, I don't, I don't agree with the way that Dave Dombrowski goes about building an organization, but uh, what I will say and what I will key him in on uh, is that I really enjoy watching the Philadelphia Phillies right now. And and I I I will greatly enjoy watching them more when Bryce Harper comes back, because you're right, like all these offensive pieces 
are clicking together and they're figuring it out in the back end of the bullpen. Saw Brad Hand try and close out a game yesterday, He's been which good. was really interesting. I didn't know that Brad Hand was still kicking around for a little bit, but you know what? He's been good this year. I know. And then you've got Nola and you've got Wheeler and like you've got people putting great starts together. Um, you've got the offense clicking and even like Tom McCarthy and John Cruck in that TV booth, like Cruck is hilarious. I think like even watching that on TV is fun. There's, there's something to really like about the Philadelphia Phillies. It feels like the energy is there. And when Philly's on Philly's on and Oh, by the way, Alec Bohm has been a fucking beast as of late. Yeah. Which is also awesome to see. I mean, it's all really coming together for them. And and I don't know what that looks like. I mean, I don't think that that means an NL pennant, but it means playoffs. And you know what? The the two guys they've got at the top are going to give them a shot, you know? So uh, it's, it's definitely not a team I want to run into in a three game set in a wild card. Um, And it's going to be really interesting to see how things shake out there. So uh, it's good for baseball to have a sports town like Philly uh, back in it. And uh I'm interested to see how they approach things, but I'm glad that I'm glad that Dave Dombrowski didn't trade Painter or yes. Abel. Um, they yes. did trade Ohapi, you know, and that was that was surprising, but they did get a controllable young big league piece that I think they're buying low on in Brandon Marsh. So, you know, that makes sense. That's not a depletion move, you know. Yeah, that's that's and more they got of just Real a, Muto. Yeah, exactly. So it's more of a and, and Ohapi's going just nuclear right now, by yeah. the way, in the mind. It's it's hilarious, but you know, wh- where were you going to play that guy? So it, it was just kind of a, a reassessment of, of kind of what you have in a reshuffle of assets. So that yeah. Zembrowski maybe he's learned a little bit and he's tamed it down a bit. Yeah. Team in a uh, team in their division made a call up. Cade Cavalli will make his major league debut on Friday for the Nats. Uh, Cavalli. I'm kind of blown because uh, Rochester is currently in Indy. Cavalli was slated to throw this weekend in Indy. And I was really looking forward to watching him in person. Um, but Cavalli will get up for his major league debut. There were some serious things that Cavalli needed to address this offseason. There were outings where he couldn't throw strikes yeah. last year. It was horrible to watch. It was pulling teeth. When he was on, the fastball is electric. The breaking ball is vomit-inducing, but couldn't throw strikes. If you can't throw strikes, you can't throw strikes, and you can't be a good pitcher. He has yeah. figured it out in spurts this yeah. year. I think we're still waiting for him to click at 100%. I think the Nats are done waiting, though. They're just going to get him up. And I'm glad. I mean, it, it's at the point, too, where, I mean, Cavalli's a little bit of an older guy, just turned 24. Um, there's there's some injury history there. So, again, do you want to waste his bullets in, in the minors when – you know, you're, you're trying to field a semi-competitive team at this point. And especially now that we have a draft lottery, like what, what are you tanking for the worst record for? It doesn't really matter. Um, they're going to be one of the four worst teams regardless. Uh, but what I really like about this move is they're, they're calling them up at the right time. You talk about stringing together successful starts. This has arguably been the best stretch of his professional career. Uh, if you look at the last, I believe it's six, seven starts. The last seven starts, he's pitched to a one four seven ERA. He struck out thirty percent of batters and walked just eight percent of batters. Um, this is a new looked Cade Cavalli. He went down with an injury, come back. He came back. He's looked a lot more efficient. And what's amazing about Cavalli is you talk about the stuff. The fastball is is really really explosive out of his hand. But he's another guy that when he's right, he's got four pitches he can get you with. Uh, it, it's a fastball. It's a slider. It's a curveball. It's a changeup, and they're all above average. Cavalli's got frontline potential. It's all about the command and health. And, you know, I'm glad that we're going to get a chance to see him at the big league level. I'm all about making the nationals more watchable. And, yes. and this is a guy that makes them more watchable. Yeah. So I, I'm actually going to see uh, Mike Burroughs start against Joanna Doan later today. Joanna uh, Doan does not make them more watchable. No. Who's no. been starting games for them? Anibal Sanchez, right? Yep. He actually had like a decent start last time, I think. Who else is starting games? Josiah Gray? Josiah Gray. He's been kind of struggling. Um, you got Patrick Corbin, of course. Oh, Corbin, yeah. Um, who who are we? This is like a great trivia question. Yeah, who's, who's starting who's games? Eric Fetty just threw the other day, right? No way, did Fetty? Yeah, Eric Fetty. Eric Fetty has like twenty starts this year. Um, who else is starting for them? Yeah, I've got Josiah Gray, Patrick Corbin, Eric Paolo Fetty. Espino. Paolo Espino. Yeah, gross. Corey Aaron Abbott. Sanchez made seven starts for them before I think he got DFA or something. I kind of fuck with. Aaron Sanchez. Um, I see Even a Strasburg Romero made, started two games. Strasburg made one. Oh, yeah. People forget Steven Strasburg came back for a moment. You were there. I was there. 
Um, I was there. Wow. Okay. Like I talked to him after the game. Very nice guy. You know, it's, it, it does make me sad. Um, it really does. He was very nice. Even after he got crushed and threw 88. Yeah, I understand. Um, hey, I've got a, I've got an actual trivia question for you. Sure. Um, there are, and this might actually take up like five minutes of your time. While I queue it up, I just did this with uh, with Howard Kelman during the Indians broadcast earlier today. Um, mentioned Griffey hitting 40 or more home runs in four straight seasons. He did it in five. There are eight or nine guys, and I'll get the number for you, that have hit 40 or more home runs in five or more consecutive seasons. 40 or more homers, five or more consecutive seasons. Give it a whirl. Bonds. Bonds, yes. Man, that's really tough. Yeah. Um, Mays? No. I know Aaron didn't. Right? Uh, Aaron Aaron did not. He did. Aaron... He did not. Yeah, I was going to say he did not. He did um, not. Mike Schmidt? Uh, not Mike Schmidt. Bonds was five. There's one guy with seven consecutive seasons with 40 or more homers. There are two guys with six. And then there are one, two, three, four, five guys with five. So eight, eight people have done it. Like Pujols had to do it, right? No, Albert has not. Frank Thomas. No. Damn. It's kind of crazy. It's, that's a tough question, honestly, because yeah. there's so many home run hitters and you just don't know who's like strung who it together. consistent. Yeah. Are they all Hall of Famers? Um, no, they are not. Is Albert Bell on there? No. No. Let's think uh 2000s. Let's think that era. Oh, 2000s. So you got Bonds. I gave you Griffey. There's one guy from 2004 to 2008. There are two from 98 to 03. Oh, well, A-Rod. A-Rod did it six years in a row. The other guy did it six years in a row, too. Jim Tomey? No, not Jim Tomey. Didn't he have, he like, was, 600 homers? Yeah, he was He was um, hurt for the bulk of the 2005 season. I think that disrupted it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm missing an obvious one. We talked about this on Outside the Box, actually. Mark McGuire. No, not McGuire. No McGuire never did it. Are you serious? He never did it. Sosa. Sosa. Sosa did it six consecutive years. You're missing the guy that did it seven, and then you're missing a guy that did it from 2004 to 2008, and then two that did it in the 50s. Rafael Palmero? <laughs> no. No. I'm going to give you the two that did it five consecutive years in the 50s. Ralph Kiner and Duke Snyder did it five yeah, no, consecutive no years. Shot. Yeah, you wouldn't have gotten that. The guy that did it seven years in a row, you should get... Uh, and then five, this guy from 2004 to 2008 is a deep cut. 2004 to 2008? Yeah. The other one was 1926 to 1932. So 2004 to 2008 guy, is he a Hall of Famer? No, he's not. So like Luis Gonzalez? No. Let, let's knock out who did it from 26 to 32. Seven straight years of 40 or more home runs. Wait, 1926? Yes. Babe Ruth? Yeah, Babe Ruth. He okay. did it seven years in a row. We're yeah, only crazy. missing one guy. National uh, League Central. National League Central? 2004 to 2008. Adam Dunn? Adam Dunn. Yeah, there we go. Adam Dunn. That's hilarious. He hit, I think it was 47 the first year of that stretch in 04, and then 05, 06, 07, 08. I think he hit 40 exactly. So who do you think will, will do that? now like who are some of the candidates to do that next honestly i think like pete alonzo alonzo is just so consistent I, and i think when people are under, like with alonzo that the bat to ball again you, you have to have the, we were talking about this it's funny because it's, it's similar to yesterday's episode one of the mailbag questions was who's a threat to like who is the most likely to to catch bonds if anybody would um, and it's like, you have to make enough contact too to yeah. do so. It's not, you can't be Adam Dunn and do this. It's just, you're, you're going to be too sporadic. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of guys are going to be able to do that over the next couple of years though, with the way, uh, home runs are valued now yeah. compared to, to before, but yeah. that's a good trivia question. I like it that. is right. So the eight guys to ever have 40 or more home runs in five or more consecutive seasons, Babe Ruth, A-Rod, Sosa, Ralph Kiner, Duke Snyder, Adam Dunn, Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr. 
Pretty good. Um, all right. Now I want to get to something that hasn't been done since uh, people started tracking this in 1988. I think I saw George Kirby yesterday opened his outing with 24 consecutive strikes thrown. Holy crap. That's what we love about George Kirby, is it not? Oh, it is. Absolutely. But And there's almost a, a level of throwing too many strikes. And I think that's something that Kirby will have to navigate a bit. Wasn't an issue then. Um, and the stuff, you know, is, is good enough. But, I mean, that's what makes a guy so fun. He's, what, walking one batter per nine right now? Yeah. It's – I think we're, we can look at Kirby. And, again, when we're talking about the Mariners, too, this is a guy that they're, they're kind of trying to, to preserve his innings. They make it to the postseason – I mean, Kirby, it'll be an opportunity for Kirby to really show everybody how how damn good he is. I would love to see him on that stage. How about this? This from Stats by Stats. Mo most consecutive strikes thrown to start a Major League Baseball game since 1988 when they started tracking this. George Kirby to yesterday versus the Nats. Joe Musgrove threw 21 straight strikes wow. on August 30, 2018. Irvin Santana threw 20 straight strikes and a start in April of 2014. Kyle Wright did it on July 9th, 18 consecutive strikes to open his game. And then Roy Halladay did it uh, in April of 2011, 18 consecutive. That's crazy. It's crazy. So here we go. Here, here we are with like the trivia bullshit, but you know, you would never get that. Uh, but yeah, George Kirby, 24 consecutive strikes to open his game. Just love it. Do you think he makes that postseason rotation if they get through the wildcard series? What would it, so, I mean, what would it look like? I, I think, yes. I think the answer is. Yes, but wh who would force him out, presumably? So it would for sure be Castillo and Ray, Gilbert. Ooh, I, I would rather go with a fourth, though. Like, if if you're in a situation where you can go to a guy on short rest, sure. But would you rather go to Robbie Ray on short rest or a fresh George Kirby? I guess it depends how Ray's – I mean, if Ray's in, like, Robbie Ray, like, tight pants shove mode, then yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Luis Castillo, injury history, I don't know if I want to go to him on short rest. I think he's kind of that that alternate where, depending on the, on the pulse of the series, is either that swing man for you or can make that start in game four. Yeah. Would – um, you don't think Scott Service would – think about Chris Flexen or Marco Gonzalez in place of Kirby as the four, do you? I think that'd be outrageous. No, I, I think that'd be outrageous. I think so too. Like definitely Marco, but Flexen, like I, I'm worried that service may think, oh, like he's a little bit older. He's not a rookie in the postseason. I think with the way George Kirby carries himself and you can see it on the mound and I know he earns high marks for that. He himself, the like he he's 35. Him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think for that reason, I, I, I would expect them to stick with Kirby. Yeah. Fair. Um, Another young guy. Um, I, I just want to touch on real quick. I saw locked on pirates, um, had, you know, like those photos that locked on will like preview the pod with it. Like, you know, has that photo and it says something underneath when, when yeah. they put out the podcast, mm -hmm. um, it said O'Neill Statcast cruise. Obviously he hit that ball 122.4, uh, for a single. I think I kind of want to make that his new nickname. Just call him Statcast. Because he throws the ball a billion miles an hour. He hits the ball a billion miles an hour. <laughs> he runs a billion feet per second, but he's hitting like a buck 99. <laughs> so, yeah, he, I, he I think we should just call him Statcast. <laughs> he's just Mr. Statcast. Yeah, right? It's it's funny, too, because it's it's one of those where, of course, all of those things point towards being a good player. You know, like they <laughs> they correlate, but. If you can't hit a curveball, it's not going to matter, and that's the frustration. Um, is you know he's capable of what? Is, what is let's call it? It was the hardest hit ball in the Statcast era, yes. which is probably the hardest hit ball in baseball history. I don't think Babe Ruth was hitting a one twenty two point four Bonds. The only thing that makes me think differently was like a steroid guy, Bonds. McGuire. I think McGuire would have done it. I yeah. think maybe McGuire did it. Now that, that was the one thing that Jeff mentioned on on outside the box is he's like we didn't have Statcast then, but like just watching some of those balls whiz over my head, I. I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a 124 in there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's maybe the only guy, maybe one of those PED guys just before. Um, yeah. But I mean, man, 122.4. Um, th th this guy has the potential to be as good as freaking anybody. But yes, he is still looking like Mr. Statcast.
Uh, so Statcast Cruz is six for sixty-five with forty-three strikeouts on breaking pitches. So you probably don't need to throw him a fastball, right? No, I wouldn't think so. He's slugging five eighty-four on fastballs. He's slugging oh ninety-two on breaking balls. Also, on that swing, he stood in the batter's box and watched it. Correct. Um, which is why it was a single. Also went into his home run trot and then just stopped at first. Yes, correct. Um, um, now, can you I- explain to me like why he can hit the ball as hard as he does? Because obviously he's yeah. big and he's a lot more wiry strong than I think a lot of people will give him credit for. But there's something about his swing path that allows him to so do it. It's funny. I was actually just talking about this when I uh, when I went to Pensacola. I was talking to a couple of the, the guys on the team, and we were just talking about like tall-ass dudes um, and and how all of them generate freak exit velos. If you look at like Ellie De La Cruz. Right. You look at James Wood. Uh, you look at – and then, of course, Aaron Judge and, and other guys like that and Stanton, of course. It's not – but those guys are like big and strong. You look at Ellie De La Cruz. He's kind of similar where it's this – wire wiry strength and it's the amount of whip that you're able to generate from long levers because when you have those longer longer levers you're able to just generate such a ridiculous amount of barrel and bat speed and whip that it is just unmatched and i think that's really what it is for o'neill cruz is like the whip that he generates in that swing with his long levers it's just it's just unbelievably ridiculous and uh long Long-armed, long-limbed guys are able to do that. They generate the kind of leverage that just few guys can, and I mean it's it's a perfect example because he's not he's not ripped, but no. he produces more bat speed than basically anybody. But seeing him up close, like having conversations with him up close, he is not skin and bone either. He's got a layer of muscle over everything. Like he is a strong, strong dude. He's wiry, strong, but he is a strong, strong guy. Yeah. So. I mean, this is a dude that is built like a pro athlete standing 6'7", 225-ish that is getting that whip, that momentum through the zone with a long bat path. I mean, dude, we're going to see some numbers. That that's the problem though, is right. Like the levers are so long that you know the, the, the bat path is long, hence struggling yeah. with the breaking pitch. And he could cheat and hit the fastball. Like he he's he's good enough to know like okay, I can start now and I'll get to the fastball. But if you're starting earlier, you have to make your decision earlier whether you're going to swing or not. And as a result, you're going to chase more breaking balls. You know, so he's deciding way earlier before you can really pick up the spin, and that's why you see these half-hearted swings over breaking balls. Um, that's part of the problem. He can gear up and hit the heater because he'll time it up. But that's going to be the the question with a guy like him. And it, yes, those long levers are great when you, you can generate so, so much leverage and also just that whip. But at the same time, it, it is extremely difficult to repeat. And that's what makes James Wood so incredible to me. Yeah. Uh, because James Wood is short. Like James Wood has found a way to be way more short to the ball. And that's, of course, New Nationals prospect. Um that is in zone with being so low. That's why I think he could be a generational talent. Yeah. Um, in zone with, what do you think it is? His zone contact percentage for O'Neill. So, oh, the zone contact for him. I'm going to guess O'Neill Cruz's zone contact is like 72%. It's 76. That's not great. It's, it's not, not great. That's if he was, if he was lifting and, and crushing baseballs, like, you can get away with that if your slugging on contact is is off the charts, but you know he's he grounds out a lot, so um, that, that's also just not going to be sustainable there for him to to be able to really put up good numbers. Yeah, um, Stephen Kwan's like ninety six percent. Yeah, which is why Stephen Kwan's my favorite player in baseball right now. <laughs> I fucking love Stephen Kwan. Um, did you guys talk Bueller at all yesterday? We did not. Okay, so it is. Um, I, I'm an empathetic person to people that I know. Uh, I don't know Walker Bueller. Like, it's very hard for me to empathize with somebody that I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Fair. it's, you know, oh, you're a professional athlete. Like, damn, that sucks. When I saw that Bueller underwent his second Tommy John surgery, I was actually, like, very sad for yeah. him. Because this is a guy that, you know, we, we just watched Justin Verlander go six pretty much perfect innings. Only guy to reach base against him uh, on Tuesday night was a fielding error on Mauricio Dubon. Like, punched out 10, no walks, no hits through six. He was lifted. 
you know, you look at Walker Bueller and it's like Verlander Jr. And, and he does everything right. He is as exciting a pitcher to watch as we have in baseball because not only does he have an electric fastball and a biting knuckle curve and a great slider and he mixes in a changeup, he is a pitchability guy, but all the pitches are disgusting yeah. and he throws them all for strikes. Walker Bueller is how you build a prototypical pitcher. He's yeah. the one. He is the one. He is the golden boy of pitching. And it just sucks. And, and we talk about it all the time. Like, you know, Tommy John is replacing a rubber band with a chain link fence. Yeah. And when the chain link fence breaks, you're fucked. Um, it's, 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 it's not good. Yeah. Well, you know, Clevenger just came back from a second Tommy John. Um, yeah. And you saw how emotional he was because I'm sure he he had a lot of doubt. And I don't know what the numbers are. Um, I don't, I'm sure there's been studies on like second Tommy John surgeries and what the you know success rate is and and how often guys get back to to where they were. But I think the most frustrating part about Walker Bueller is and in, in, in the way that things have happened for him is that yeah he's been great for years now. But yet last year was kind of the the coming out party as like. Hey, not only am I a good pitcher, because he was always regarded as a very good pitcher, but last year was the, hey, I'm going to win Cy Youngs, right? That That's what I came away with last year from Walker Bueller, 26 years old, you know, pitching 207 innings, punching out 212 um, in 33 starts too, like just compiling and also dominating. That's what really killed me uh, with this whole thing is because this was a guy that really just broke out and put it together. And it was similar to Dustin May, right? Where Dustin May was in the, on the verge of just really asserting himself as one of the, you know, up and coming starters in the game. So even a little bit different in that regard. And then he goes down, he's already back and looks great again, but you know, that's what really kills me with Walker is he had his career year last year and now he's not able to really follow that up this season or next. It's hard. It's hard. Um, Recovery typically takes longer according to Jeff Passan on a second Tommy John and uh, if you haven't ever read Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, he wrote it before he got to ESPN. I think he was a writer with Yahoo. It's one of the better like baseball books in recent memory because he spent a shit ton of time Dude. Or, like rolling around with a Daniel Hudson who has come back and has become a very good reliever after two Tommy John surgeries. He went to Japan and he looked at the overuse practices in Japan for high school guys. It is an incredible, incredible book. Recommend go reading The Arm by Jeff Passan. But, I mean, he he knows it better than anybody. And, and Jeff Passan was expressing remorse for Walker Bueller yesterday. It is just a shitty thing to see um, for, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball. So that was really actually one of the first things that I read from Jeff Passan. Because that was in 16 when that came out, it was in uh, 2016. And what's what's really crazy is he actually wrote about a guy that that pitched in our district. Uh, his name was Anthony Molina, yeah. and or is Anthony Molina? <laughs> he's, he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, but like th- this kid was the number number one pitcher in the country by perfect game, and like the kind of guy that when we had to face him, I, I like it was like poop your pants territory in the box. It was up to ninety six as a fifteen year old, um, and and that was why he was just getting celebrated as this you know huge 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 prospect and. Uh, Passon writes about it, but he was up to 96, was expected to be a top 10 pick, and then all of a sudden he's down to 86. And just the the layers of it, because Passon dove into the story and the background and what happened. And Molina ends up getting into off-the-field trouble and other things like that. But what's crazy is this kid went from number one player in the country to a guy that never pitched one pitch in professional baseball. And actually, I think only through one collegiate inning. Um, it just shows you how much is out of control and how much – how quickly things can be taken away from you with, with how tough it is uh, when it comes to preserving health and pitchers. And I, that book, I might need to reread soon, honestly. I think I'm going to reread it soon too. I, I was just looking at it and I was like trying to see who he was highlighting. Um, and I, you know, can only get the the Barnes and Noble, uh, what quick little description of the arm, but yeah, I know I've got it at home. So I got to, uh, I got to grab that and reread it because it was, I remember being floored by it and, I, I think why we fell in love with baseball is because of the intricacies of it and because of what happens off the field that is so interesting. Like basketball, obviously you have contractual conversations, but so much of that and all of it is pretty much around what do you do for me on the basketball court? Are you a good shooter? Are you a good defender? That type of thing. Um, in football, do you hit guys hard or do you throw accurate passes? You make a lot of money. 
in baseball, you're playing two different games, right? Hitters and pitchers pretty much play a different game. Um, with pitchers, you're a ticking time bomb now. Your elbow is a ticking time bomb. It's have you had it? When are you going to have it? Dylan Cease had Tommy John as a junior in high school, I want to say, maybe a senior in high school. Shane McClanahan had it his freshman year at South Florida. Like it is almost good. It's, it's almost, almost good. Like, it's like, hey, they yeah. got it out of the way. Because like, most guys don't get it again. You know, that's what exactly. makes the Walker Bueller situation unfortunate. And I don't know what the, the details were on Molina, but, you know, he was 6'4 and up to 96 as a freshman. Um, So, you know, maybe just it's what the arm can literally handle yeah, as maybe well. Maybe your body was not ready to like, take on 94 miles an hour. And that's the crazy part, dude, is we still don't know so much. And, and that's what's really concerning. And when I look at a Sandy Alcantara, that's why I'd almost there, – there's probably – pitchers better than him there will be always uh but you know what the best ability is availability that guy seems to be just the cut from a knock on wood but a different cloth where it just seems like his arm is built for it and uh he works very hard to, to be that way i'd give those guys more money than the guys that are really good and, and are injury prone and like we talk about edward cabrera I, that was someone i wanted to discuss yeah, yeah, because yeah. When I look at the Marlins rotation, I'm like holding my breath every time Edward Cabrera and even Jesus Lazardo pitch because Lazardo's had some arm flare ups and it's not about their ability anymore. Like no. Lazardo's a he's carving as we speak. I think he was four no hit innings before we clicked record. Um, like Lazardo, you don't have any questions. You know he's gonna at the very least is a very good number three. Yes. I think at Edward Cabrera, you could say the same thing at this point too. Since returning from the IL, he's pitched 22 and two thirds scoreless innings. But I still am nervous about both of them because I, I it's out of their control as to whether they can stay healthy or not. Both have had shoulder issues, and that's that's the toughest part. But I do want to talk about that tandem real quick because yes. those two have been insane since they've returned from their injuries. Both missed a decent amount of time. And um, you know, like can you build around those guys? Like that's that's the question. Is like Everyone says, oh, the Marlins were crazy to not trade Pablo. You know, they, wh why didn't they trade Pablo, who also has his own shoulder issues? Well, you have that pitching depth, but it could disappear very quickly. And Edward Cabrera and Jesus Lazardo were on the IL at the same time. And we were seeing guys like Cody Petit make starts, who's also on the IL. Like, I, I think you get to the point now where you can't have too much pitching. We always talk about that, but I think it's as much of a, of a story as ever. Look at the Marlins. Sixto Sanchez on the shelf. Uh, Jake Eater, who would have debuted this year returning from Tommy John surgery. Like there's just so many guys that it, this is one of the most pitching wealthy teams and they still find themselves starting Brian Hoeing, yeah. you know, who got shelled for seven runs against the Dodgers. And guess what? He's pitching again when the, when the Dodgers come to town in a couple of days. So yeah. you know, it, it's just a testament to how little is in your control when it comes to the health of pitchers. And I, I just don't even know how you can game plan for something like that. Yeah. Um, Edward Cabrera is uh Edward Cabrera has thrown 231 changeups this year. Opponents are hitting 143 against it. Cabrera has thrown 141 four-seam fastballs. Opponents are hitting 087 against it. They Cabrera has thrown 110 sliders. Opponents are hitting 080 against it. And he has thrown 98 curveballs. Opponents are hitting 100 against it. The only pitch that people are hitting occasionally is his sinker. And he like barely throws he, it. He doesn't throw it. Like that's so, his fifth pitch. I'm writing something on Cabrera right now. Um, and I was gonna wait till his next start because I kind of wanted to see, you know, how the next one looks too. But what's amazing about him is he looks like Sandy Jr. He the, the way the arsenal works is very similar. The sinker doesn't work as well for him as maybe the changeup. So he uses the changeup more, but he throws his changeup at 92 miles an hour. Sometimes it gets up to 93, 94, and those almost act as the sinker. And what's wild is his fastball command, Cabrera's, is, is not great. He yeah. throws his changeup for a strike like 70% of the time. The guy is more comfortable throwing a changeup than a fastball. It's insane. It's insane. Um, and, you know, we, we were talking about it just like on the phone, and, you know, we were thinking maybe we dive into it in terms of editorially, like maybe we dive into it in a written article. But the Marlins are, are deploying the high-speed changeup. Um, there is minimal separation, if any. And we've seen Zach Greinke do it, like 88-mile-an-hour fastball, 90-mile-an-hour changeup. Um, and listen, the definition of changeup is not slower than fastball. The definition of changeup is different grip, different pitch profile. Um, less spin. Less spin, pretty much. So uh, Sandy, obviously you're seeing 92-mile-an-hour changeups on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. Cabrera is throwing, what, 92, 93, 94-mile-an-hour changeups? Yep, yep. 
and Pablo Lopez is throwing out of he's what mid nineties with his fastball. He's, he's, about he's like 90. 92 to 94 with the fastball and touch of five or six 90 with his changeup. Yeah. It's, it, it's incredible what your team is doing with that. And it's such a good pitch. Yeah. I'm really excited to dive into that. That's a piece I'm definitely going to put together as well. And, and it's funny because it's not just those guys, I mean, Trevor Rogers, when he was right, it was the changeup that and was there's the minimal separation. Pitch. There's yeah, minimal separation guy. in velocity. And another dude, yeah, minimal separation, but the changeup was just devastating. And even like Lazardo's, you know, mixed it in a little bit and, and feels good with that pitch, feels confident with that pitch. Like they they have found a way to teach that, to preach that pitch to to top to bottom. But I, I am interested to dive into that because the power change is is working. It works. It yeah. clearly does. It's kind of crazy because you know. I think historically the thinking around changeups has been the slower it is compared to your fastball, the better. If yeah, you have more separation hour, is, is generally yeah, better. More separation, the better, because you want them to kind of look the same. Now it's just another pitch that moves differently, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like fastball splitter. Like Felix Bautista has become one of the best relievers in baseball because he throws 102 on a clothesline and 88 to 90 that falls off that clothesline about 10 feet before it gets to the plate. How about Durant's splinker? Yes. It's same thing. It's, same it's thing. the same thing. So, you know, I, I still think there's validity to the, you know, separation side of things. If you have a traditional three pitch mix, right. You yeah. know, you want to have those three different speeds, but when you are in the freak territory and all of the guys that we just listed are in the freak territory, right. At that point, like it's, it's just so hard for a hitter when it's 95 in all different directions that you might as well just throw it hard. Um, if you're capable of throwing it that hard, then it just works. Um, and you can just say, fuck separation. And I think that's exactly what we're, we're seeing with some of these pitchers. And the Marlins are, are kind of leading the way with that, with their talents and arms. And I'm interested to see how they continue to do that. And I think Yuri Perez is kind of in the same boat. That guy's changeups are really, really hard when he throws them. So uh, it's pretty cool what they're doing. Hopefully they can find a hitter or two. That'd be really nice. But uh, yeah, that that's a piece I'm definitely looking forward to putting together. Yeah, man. Um, anything else we got to hit? I'm trying to think. Um, oh, not... there's one more thing that I wanted to hit. Um, Matt Olson just hit a grand slam and a you know 14 to two win for the Braves over the Pirates. Um, and I, I was telling you on the phone, like, kind of just wanted to take a moment to appreciate Matt Olson because, again, like we we've talked about the narrative around him and being the heir to the Freddie Freeman throne in Atlanta, but he has put together a really good year this year um, in 125 games. He's got an 8.15 OPS. He's got what, 27 homers and 88 driven in. Now I want to say on an 162 game basis over his seven year career so far. And granted Matt Olson is still, he's 28 years old. Yeah. Turned 28 on March 29th on an 162 game basis. Matt Olson is slashing 251, 345, 506, 32 doubles, 39 home runs, 106 driven in. He's one of the best hitters in baseball. And and I think he's like still getting at like just now getting acclimated to Atlanta. Like I think there was still that that there was a lot that he had to handle and a lot that he had to deal with as we've talked about. So I think he's going to go nuclear in the postseason. I really do. I, I think he's going to be one of the guys that really carries them. And I think he's going to continue that into what will be similar to what we saw last year next season. Um, I think this was kind of you know, get your feet wet in Atlanta type of thing. And I, I think he's going to be that one of the best hitters in baseball conversation because he hasn't been that statistically over the course of this year. But I agree that he is capable of being one of the best hitters in baseball. And I, I really hope he gets there because I think this Braves seems fun. I know I, I like a new champion. I, I do. But hell, man, I wouldn't mind seeing the Braves back in the World Series. I really like talk about teams you like watching. I really enjoy that team. And especially now that Von Grissom is doing what he's doing on top of everything. Uh, Peter and I were talking about that too. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a really fun team over there. Uh, the playoffs are going to be filled with with very fun teams, especially if the Brewers continue to fall. Um, that kind of eliminates one boring postseason team. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of fun postseason teams potentially this we're year. We're going to have a lot of fun postseason baseball here. And I'm just thinking like, if I'm a Braves fan, I'm going to sleep at night knowing that I've got for the next six years, at the very least, um, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Ronald Acuna, Von Grissom, Michael Harris, all locked up with what? Uh, Ozzie Albies. Albies expiring at some point in that. Um, 
I mean, they've incredible. got him for what? Five, they they signed him to a pre R big time deal too. It was seven or, years for thirty five. I want to say something like that. Yeah. So I mean that that core, and then I mean you look at just around the league. I, I'm liking this new approach to locking up your young your young stars um even like the rays doing it and hopefully the mariners do that with j-rod but i don't even know what that price tag's gonna look like i feel like the orioles are gonna do it with adley especially if they're oh, they planning should. on sizably uh what was it again uh oh increasing. uh significantly escalating the payroll yes if they significantly escalate the payroll forget a free agent i think that's one of the first things you got to do yeah. Is is do that, but also I, I forgot to mention Byron Buxton hit the uh, IL as well, low grade right hip strain yesterday. Yeah. Um, hopefully not a big deal. I, I'll take a low grade strain, uh, but like damn man, <laughs> I thought we, we were kind of in the clear for a little bit, but I mean I think it's pretty clear that like that this is just always going to be a thing for him. He, he's kind of at the point where you're just kind of shooting for a hundred games a year and and hoping you get something close to that. No, I mean that's that's why the deal made sense. Right. Yeah. Like if he was fully healthy, he'd be making three times that amount. Um, if he it, like it, it, Byron Buxton is going to be one of the most frustrating guys that we watch in this era of baseball because he's so freaking good when he's on the field. Um, I think what, what I wasn't expecting from Buxton this year is the lack of athleticism offensively. Um, and I don't, I don't just mean that by stolen bases, but I mean that by fending off touch tough pitches for singles. Like he is a low batting average, high power, no stolen base guy. Like this shouldn't be a gold glover with 30 homers and nothing else. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what it's, it, it seems like he's kind of guarding himself in some ways, but it, it, it's weird with the offensive approach. It's true. You know, it's like not just put the ball in play and beat it out. It's, He's trying to swing for the fences, you know, and that's that's just what he is. It's going to be low 300s OBP, a ton of home runs, great defense and center, which is great. Um, but yeah, he's not giving you that five tool dynamic, you know, ability that you were hoping for. But I guess even at this point, if you're getting what Byron Buxton gave you this year moving forward, I, I think the twins would be very happy with that. Yeah, I think so. Um, all right. That it? Yeah, that's all I got. I'm excited for your guys' interview tomorrow. That's going to be pretty cool, I think. It'll be pretty cool, I will say. All right. Uh, we're just going to sneak attack, drop it on you guys on Friday morning. So, yeah. you know, anything that we would be plugging right now is in the episode description. Go get that. Peter and I, and possibly you will join us for an intro and outro. We'll talk to you tomorrow.